Me and my brother growing up, uh, we would try to sneak and watch TV past our bedtime. So one of us would sit in the hallway, and the other one would sit right in front of the TV, in front of the power button. And every, time, every now and then, my parents would scream downstairs, turn off that TV, and we would turn the TV off and pretend like we were not watching it. But every now and then, you would hear the sound that made you die a little bit inside. Uh, you would hear somebody starting to actually physically come downstairs, right? And as soon as they would come downstairs, we would cut it off, run, and just dive in bed, put the covers on top, and just pretend like you had been sleeping and you were snoring. Like... Because it's one thing to be told something, uh, but it's an entirely something uh, different feel uh, to have your parent come downstairs, right? I think we all get that, uh, that the best way to communicate anything is to come down personally, right? So if you, it's, it's one thing to uh, send a text message saying you're interested in, another, in somebody. It's another thing completely to show up at that house with flowers and a card. And I actually might be kind of stalkerish, so I don't know how you'd feel about that. Uh, but it's, at the very least, it communicates something a whole lot stronger than a text message does. Right? It, it, it's way better to go to a friend's birthday party than it is to write happy birthday on their Facebook wall. Right? It's way more personal to, to go to the hospital of a loved one uh, that might be sick or just gave birth than it is to send a text message saying I'm praying for you or congratulations. The best way to communicate anything is to come personally. And, to come personally. and I think that God knows that. And, and the best way to communicate something is to show up personally. Now, Christians like me believe a lot of crazy things. Uh, and one of those crazy things is that we believe that God showed up personally. And Christmas is a time where we stop and we commemorate the coming of Jesus. And we, we're not just uh, singing good songs and, and having gifts and uh, eating Christmas ham together, but we're, we're stopping to commemorate a, an event in history where God came and showed up personally. Now, the best person that described this was uh, the Apostle John. And for those of you who haven't read too much of, of John, uh, John was one of these dudes that followed Jesus pretty much from the beginning. And, uh, you know, John wasn't somebody that came by years and years later. John walked with Jesus from his very uh, beginning days. So from the day that uh, Jesus started in public ministry, uh, uh, Jesus uh, called John and one of his brothers to follow him. In discipleship back then, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus didn't mean that you signed a, a covenant. It didn't mean that you showed up to church on Sunday. It didn't mean, uh, mean any of these things. Uh, what being a disciple meant in those days was you literally uh, packed up your entire family, packed up everything you had. You quit your job to go and learn from another person. So John literally left his job as a fisherman, uh, left his family, left his dad, left his mom, left everybody to go and to follow Jesus. And for three years, he walked with Jesus day after day after day after day. And when John sat down to summarize Jesus' life, well, when John sat down to, to talk about uh, who he believed Jesus to be, this is the way he describes Jesus, that Jesus was the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And as John is reflecting and, and writing down the life of Jesus, the best way for him to describe it, the, the thing that he uh, believed so sternly was that God showed up and lived among us. That God didn't send just a message. That God didn't send just a messenger. That God himself came down to be with us. Now, if that's true, can you think of anything that's more important than that? Right? Like, how does your fantasy football championship stack up against that? Right? How does, how does finding a great uh, uh, deal on an apartment on Craigslist rank against God of the universe coming and, and showing up in Jesus? 
that's actually a lot closer in my heart than it might be, because finding a good deal in an apartment is almost impossible. That's a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> so we're in this last uh, uh, part of our series called Advent, uh, the arrival of a notable person. And as Christmas approaches, we're stopping to look at this event. Now, this is, this is huge. And if it's true, I believe that it changes everything. Uh, if this is true, I believe that it changes everything. And I, I firmly believe that uh, we have every reason to have uh, a, a lot of faith in this event. Uh, see, when, when John wrote this story, uh, John wasn't, I'll, I'll say it like this. John wrote this story uh, not as a good tale, but as something he firmly believed. And John actually himself uh, was physically persecuted. Uh, he was boiled alive for his faith in Jesus. Right? Like, how can, can you imagine somebody being tossed into boiling water? Uh, so John risked telling, this, telling us this story about who Jesus was at the risk of his own safety, at the risk of his own life. And he did it because it was true. Now, it's incredible what John says about Jesus. And uh, for a lot of us, we have to come to grips with this notion that if, if we were telling a story about something uh, to, to anybody, if we were making up a story, John would have never told a story like this unless it were true, right? So when John is writing to, to, to people about who Jesus was, to anybody who was trying to convince anybody of anything, you would put it in a way that is most believable, right? So if I was late for a meeting downtown, I would tell you something that sounded really believable, right? I would say, yo, I was on the platform waiting for the C train. Y'all know the C train, that joint takes forever. If I was underground, I didn't have no service. And man, we got stuck underground. And even though I left my house on time, we got stuck at 81st Street for forever. And my bad, I'm late. But listen, it's not my fault. It's the C train. And anybody who's ever taken the C train knows how believable that is, because the C train is terrible. But one thing I would not say is this. I wouldn't say, yo, I came out my apartment, and when I got outside, there was a tornado on my block. And then I was looking down the street, and there was a baby deer, right? <laughs> So I ran out, I dodged the tornado, got the baby deer, and then my sneaker fell on the street, and I just got the powder blue 11s, right? And then I had to run, rescue the baby deer, put him in a safety, then go back and get my sneaker, dodge the tornado again, and that's why I'm late. Nobody would ever tell that story because it's highly unlikely that you would believe that version of events. Now, when John was writing a story about who Jesus is, he was writing to people that uh, would have highly doubted the likelihood of these events. See, nobody was expecting God to come down to them. All of their religions were all about us doing things to go up to God, and that God would never come down to be with us on our level. And even if God did come down, he would never come down the way that Jesus came down. So Jesus came down uh, to an unmarried teenage mother in the sticks of a nobody town to nobody parents and in the form of a baby. See, people would have thought that Jesus or the Messiah would have come down like LeBron James, and he would have had, like, calves the size of basketballs. He would have been dunking on people. He would have had chest hair and, like, a, a crazy hipster beard. Like, they would have thought that Jesus was going to come in this, uh, or the Messiah would come as an amazing warrior, as an amazing king that would dominate everything in the land. And the last thing that they were expecting is a baby. And John writes us uh, to this. He writes about uh, how Jesus came. He writes about Jesus coming in the, form of a in the form of a baby because it's true. 
Later in 1 John, uh, he, he talks about, uh, he starts off the book by saying, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have heard from our ears, that which we have touched with our hands. This is the life that we proclaim to you. And Barb Yarbrough, who's a, a New Testament scholar, talks about it like this, that whenever anybody in those days would, uh, would talk about, would, would start off any uh, writing like that, like this is which I have seen with my eyes and heard with my ears and have touched with my own hands, this was a way that they swore an oath back in the day. So today, people uh, have, you know, the process where you put your hand in the air and the other hand in the Bible, you say, you know, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And the way John is starting off this book is by saying this, that I have seen this with my eyes. I have heard this with my ears. I have touched this with my hands. I'm telling you, this is the truth. But brothers and sisters, if this is true, if this is true that Jesus Christ is God come down uh, in, in earth, that changes everything. If this is true, that changes everything. And if you're new to church and you're just checking out Christianity and you're kind of unsure whether or not you'll keep on coming to church or coming to Renaissance, I have a really good reason for you to never come back. Um, and it's not because uh, you don't like the bagels or you don't like the volunteers or somebody didn't speak to you on the way in or uh, you don't like the pastor. Don't say that because that'll hurt my feelings. Um, but a really good way, reason for you to never come back ever again is if this, the, the writings about who Jesus are, not true, right? If Jesus is not truly who uh, all these writings say he was, all these eyewitnesses say he was, it makes no sense for us being here. We might as well pack it up, put the 70-inch TV in my living room, and, and go our merry ways. But if it is true, who cares about the bagels? Who cares about the air conditioning in the summer or lack thereof? Who cares about anything other than the fact that I have to get to know this God who came down and showed up in Jesus? If it's true, it changes everything. It changes three things we're going to talk about today. It changes everything we know about God our Father. It changes how we relate to God. And it changes how we live our lives. So number one, it changes everything we know about God our Father. Number two, it changes how we relate to God. And number three, it changes how we live our lives. So what is, what is God like? What is God like? In, in 1 John 1 and verse 2, it says, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. Now, in this scripture, we're not being told that Jesus gives life. We're not being told that Jesus uh, has life. We're being told that Jesus is life. We're not being told that Jesus has life or that he gives life. We're being told that Jesus is life himself. Now, why did, why did John write that? Uh, in some churches, there were some teachings where people were dealing with doubt and uncertainties. And if that's ever how you felt, then this right here is, is for you. But basically, John was saying this for this one specific reason, and if you don't get anything else that we've ever talked about here at Renaissance, I really want you to get this. The reason John writes that the life appeared is this. God specializes in bringing life where it doesn't belong. That the specialty of God, the specialty of the creator is in bringing life where it doesn't belong. From Genesis 1, where there was darkness and void and nothing existing, God called and life appeared. All throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see a God that brings life where it doesn't belong, where there is darkness, where there is doubt, where there is pain, where there is uncertainty, 
God comes into these situations and brings life. And Christmas is about God bringing Jesus into a manger to an unmarried teenage mother in a place that life did not belong, and God brings the life of the world. And all throughout Scripture, we see it. I love one of these favorite scriptures in, uh, in Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet, and uh, uh, God brings Ezekiel out to a graveyard. He says, son of man, what do you see? He says, I see bones and death. He says, prophesy to those bones and speak life over them. And what happens? Ezekiel starts to see life form in a cemetery. See, God specializes in bringing life where it does not belong. In uh, uh, the, the book of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den, you guys have heard this story uh, Daniel was praying three times a day, and a decree, a law went out in the land that you're not allowed to pray at all. Daniel, being a man of faith, kept on praying, and uh, as a result, got thrown into the lion's den. Everybody expected Daniel to die. Uh, they, they put him in a lion's den and covered it up with a stone, and everybody knew he was done. The next morning, they rolled away the stone, and they see Daniel chilling, relaxing with his hands behind his head, with his feet on top of one of the lions. See, God specializes in bringing life where it doesn't belong. Later in Daniel, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you see the story of three men <clears throat> that were living for God and refused to bow down to anything that would come between them and God, and they got thrown in a fiery furnace. And it says for them that they were standing in a fiery furnace, and people looked on the outside and were, were shocked that they weren't burning up. And then it says that somebody appeared, a fourth one, looking like the son of man that was in the fire with them. And they didn't die because you want to know why? God brings life where it doesn't belong. Now, you need to know this, especially in Christmas season, uh, because holidays tend to be one of the most depressing times of the year. See, for you, uh, your Christmas might not be Instagram that, you know, that Bay brought me this or Bay brought me that. You might not have no Bay, right? <laughs> this, might be, this might be the first Christmas since so-and-so died. This might be the first Christmas since the divorce. This might be the first Christmas since your dreams were shattered. Even worse, this might be the 15th Christmas that you, every single year it hasn't felt special and every single year you felt down. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God wants us to know Christmas and Advent, we can stop and celebrate that God brings life where it doesn't belong, where it's not predictable, where we couldn't see it otherwise. You need to know this for yourself. That uh, no matter what things look like, in grief, in grief, people tend to do something called writing the script. Now, writing the script is a, the is a, a psychological term about people who are experiencing pain, and they forecast how the rest of their life is going to look like based on the grief that they've experienced in the past. And a lot of us write the script about how terrible Christmas is and how terrible our lives are based on the things that have happened. And you know what? They might be very painful things, and I don't want to undermine how painful uh, life can be. But certainly, we don't know what next year is going to look like. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. We can look to a God that can bring life into our situations no matter how dark it is. Jesus entered into a world of 400 years of silence. And no matter how long things have been going in your life, God can bring hope. God can bring life to that situation. God specializes in bringing life where it doesn't belong. Now, if... This is not the bedrock of your understanding of how God is, uh, not just in understanding your circumstances, but in understanding your relationship to God. It's going to change everything. So if God uh, specializes in bringing life where it doesn't belong, uh, what that means for you is that you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because of how many books you've read. You're not a Christian because of how great you are, and God knew that, oh, man, they are going to be a fantastic Christian once, you know, once I breathe life 
on them. You're not a Christian because you just so happen to be so smart and so wise and your heart is just so soft and so amazing and so receptive that God gave you life. Scripture tells us a much different story. In Ephesians 2, uh, it, it says that uh, we were dead in transgressions and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. See, God brought life into our spiritual lives when we were dead. And if that's not the way you see your, your walk with God, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to spend your days uh, uh, in the courtroom of your own life, evaluating every single action that you've done. And every single day, you're going to go home and count the tally that, oh, I read my Bible today, or, or I sang a song today, or I didn't curse out my coworker, which for some of you is a, is a huge, huge feat. And at the end of the day, you're going to be constantly evaluating yourselves and judging yourself based on how you did. And then you're going to look to God, and you're going to feel either crushed and abandoned uh, based on not measuring up. Or on the other side, you're going to feel like you did a really good job today. Man, I did a really, really good job, and God is really pleased with me. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be prideful. You're going to turn your nose down and look, at, look down on other people who aren't as good as you are, and you're going to think that life belongs in you, even though God brought you life when you did not deserve it. And here's what, here's what I want for you. I want, I want you to get off the treadmill of, of performance and trying to always measure up and, and counting every single day and to realize what the gospel of grace is. And we've defined it here at Renaissance as uh, uh, unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. And that's what grace is for you and for me. And if anything else is the foundation of the way you see God, man, you're going to be uh, in that courtroom for your life, always uh, trying to see how you measure up and never experiencing freedom in Christ. Freedom to be a child of God. Freedom to be loved. Freedom to, to pursue God without having to uh, measure up every single day. Now, the second thing, and I'll, I'll be brief on this one, uh, it, it changes how we relate to God. So the first thing it does, it changes uh, everything we know about God. And the second thing is it changes how we relate to God. Uh, there's this verse uh, in 1 John 1 that John uh, writes, and he says, we proclaim to you uh, what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So in other words, Christmas is about fellowship. Now, fellowship is kind of a churchy word. Uh, I grew up like at an old school Baptist church, and fellowship was like the fellowship hall, and that's where you eat potato salad, Right? But life with Jesus is about more than potato salad, okay? I think that's a pretty safe assumption to, to gather. Uh, what, what John was talking about here, and if you'd allow me to dust off my one semester of New Testament Greek, um, is, is this. John is talking about a word named koinonia. Now, koinonia was a word used all throughout the uh, New Testament, and it basically meant living life together with no barriers. So in Acts 2, you see the disciples um, living life together, fellowshipping with one another, uh, breaking bread with one another. And here's, here's the, the, the meaning of that word in that context. It meant that those people who were once strangers could now live as family, that they ate together, they lived together, they shared everything they had in common, they were in fellowship. And when John is saying that we can have fellowship with the Father, what he is saying is this, is that through Christ, we can go from being strangers to family, that we can, we can come to God with the most mundane of our days, with the heaviest of our burdens, that God is no longer a million miles away in the sky, but he is near to us, and he will be family. He will be our father. Now, one of the best uh, ways that I, I understand this 
is looking at our physical sun, right? Like the sun that's outside, or probably not today because it's kind of cloudy outside. A uh, side note, today is December 21st. It's the darkest day of the year, and every day from here on out is going to get lighter every single day. Praise Jesus for that. <laughs> it gets dark at like 1230 now, which is pretty, pretty, pretty depressing. Now, with the sun, you can never go outside and just look up at the sky and really see the sun. You can see, like, this huge emanating light force, but you can never really see it. You can never see all of its eruptions and all of the glory of the sun and the sunspots and the way that it actually looks because it is way too bright. And if you look at it for too long, you're just going to burn your eyes. Now, if you really want to see the sun, what you need is a solar telescope. And a solar telescope will bring the sun closer to you and will allow you to see every wrinkle, every dot, every sun flare, every eruption that is going on on the solar surface. But you'll never be able to see that with your own two eyes just by looking at the sky. Now, Colossians. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And when John is telling us that we can have fellowship with the Father, what he is saying is this, that through Jesus we can see God in his nature. We can see God, we can know God, we can be known by God because Jesus is our solar telescope. What was blinded to us before is now allowable and, and, and permissible based off of who Jesus is and him entering this world. Now, last thing that it changes is, is, is for us is how we will live our lives. Uh, a couple of uh, minutes ago, we heard this, obviously, the amazing song from our Renaissance kids, uh, Joy to the World, and they were so cute and um, so ridiculously not understandable that it was even hard to hear the words that they were saying. <laughs> but here, here are the words to Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. In the last uh, verse that we talked about for today, uh, John tells us, that the reason we're writing about Jesus coming to earth was to make our joy complete, was to make our joy complete. Now, that, that doesn't make too much sense. Like, what does Jesus coming have to do with joy, right? Like, it's a good theological concept. Yeah, 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 I know Jesus is coming. That sounds good. But what, is that, what does that mean for me, uh, street level? Uh, one of the best ways that I know how to describe this, uh, I came from an article I read from Tim Keller. Um, he's an author and pastor in the city at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he talked about he bought a house like in Pennsylvania or something. And while they were in the house, uh, no matter what was going on at any time of the year, every single season, um, their, their house, their basement was always cold, damp, and mildewy. Right? It could be 100 degrees. It could be a drought. And every single time they went in the basement, it was cold and damp and mildewy. And that when it rained, that uh, the basement flooded. And they checked everything outside. They checked the brook across the street. They checked everything around them, and they had no answer for why it kept on flooding. They had no idea why. They brought in experts to figure out why the, the basement was always cold and damp. And finally, they were talking to somebody who had lived in the neighborhood uh, for years and years and years. He says, listen, hey, the real estate agent didn't tell you this, uh, which, side note, real estate agents, no offense, sometimes you guys are not always super truthful about what's going on. <laughs> Right, they'll put an ad saying, like, steps away from the train, and it'll be like seven avenues across town. But the real estate agents didn't tell them that there was a river running beneath their house. And no matter what happened uh, in, in whatever season, uh, their, the condition of that basement 
was going to remain the same, not because of what was going on on the outside, but because what was going on on the inside, underneath. There was a current that, uh, that was going through it that caused this condition to never, ever change. There was something happening inside and under the ground that was so profound that it changed the, the very makeup of that basement. Now, street level, what does this mean for us? If we believed everything about the Christmas story, if we believed everything about Jesus coming to earth to, to repair and to give us life and to be life for us in, in dark places, if we believe that, God, that Jesus makes a way for us to have a, a relationship with God as our Father and that we can come to him and there are no barriers, then you know what that would do? That would produce a deep river of joy in our lives. That it wouldn't matter what the external circumstances were. It wouldn't matter how long you've been praying for one thing and didn't get it. It wouldn't matter how devastating life was as painful as that could be. There would be something inside of you, a source, that would give you life even when there was no life on the outside. Now, I want to give us all a homework assignment. Um, uh, we talked about uh, not having services next week, and I think this is going to be an amazing thing for this church. Uh, we don't want you to necessarily just go home and just kick your feet up for rest's sake. We do want you to rest, but we want it to be an active, an active rest. And one thing I want us to do is if God really did come to earth through Jesus, I think uh, it is incumbent upon us, we, it demands us to actually spend some time learning and learning about this Jesus that came to earth. So what I want to challenge us to do is to, is to pick a gospel and to read it. Now, for those of you who want to take the shortest route, Mark is the shortest gospel, right? You can get through that in 15 minutes. Uh, John is certainly one of the longer ones. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, these are all gospels. Uh, they're called the synopt synoptic gospels. And these books are very similar in the way they approached to Jesus. They write about Jesus, his life, his coming, and all these different things. Uh, John takes a little bit more of a spiritual approach. Um, but all of these men are eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, and they, they write about Jesus um, they write about Jesus from what they have seen and heard. And if God really did show up in the world through Jesus, you know what we need to do? We need to learn who he is. Now, there's no amount of prayer, there's no amount of coming to church, there's no amount of singing songs that's going to change uh, you in the way that uh, really starting to read scripture will. My heart as a pastor is uh, so that we would have people that actually know who God is for themselves. Uh, and, and we certainly want you to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes uh, 30 minutes over this next uh, couple of weeks and picking up a gospel and reading it. Uh, these books uh, were written so that they could be read all throughout, like through, through one sitting. So, right, if, if anybody was reading a good book or a good magazine, you could easily spend 30 minutes reading it. People read books for hours and hours and hours on time. And, and I truly believe that one of the most important things we could do is to spend some time intentionally investing in learning about who Jesus is. If he really is God come to earth, then we need to learn more about who he is. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm just grateful to be among this amazing community of people. I uh, got this, this great collection, this cloud of witnesses, this, this body you are forming uh, here at Renaissance. Father, we don't take it for granted, all the amazing things that you're doing. Uh, God, I pray for everybody in this room that the reality of your coming would be true in our hearts, that it would overshadow uh, the things that are going on in our lives. God, I pray for the people that are experiencing pain around this Christmas season. God, that you would bring healing and hope and restoration. God, don't let them live without hope this Christmas season. God, don't let them live in a, in a shell or a cocoon. God, let them grieve honestly and openly and mourn whatever's going on in their lives. But God, let them have hope.
Let them know that you are with them and you are their God. God, continue to bless us and breathe on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.